This morning we are uh, still in our community series, and uh, and we're going to take a little bit of a different approach to it this morning. Uh, I've shared with you uh, several times uh, about the Greek word for one another in the New Testament. It appears 100 times, and the importance that we all have as members of the body of Christ, and according to Romans chapter 12, members of one another, right? Since we're part of the body of Christ, we are members one of another. And so the importance and the, the direction, the guidance and commands that we have all throughout the New Testament of how we're supposed to treat one another. And uh, a lot of positive commands, right? You know, care for one another, serve one another, forgive one another, be patient with one another, submit to one another, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spirit, like a lot of positive commands. And uh, as, as I was thinking about this and I, I was kind of reading through all these one another's, there are a few negative commands that tells us how not to treat one another. All right, because what can happen in community, first let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10. I want to read this verse, um, and, uh, and let me show you this first, because here's what can happen if we get this wrong. Because while we are critical to one another and our individual growth in Christ as a spiritual, supernatural community, we find that we are all still human beings and have some flesh left, right? And so the very people who can be the most important to you can also be the most hurtful. And somebody got an amen over here. And so what can happen is not only can we be a source of unity, we can begin to turn community to division. Now there are times in the Bible that, that the New Testament shows there are the right times to divide and distance yourself from certain people based on doctrines they believe, false teachings. There are lots of applicable ways that it says, hey, it's time to step away and not be involved in that. But what I want to talk about this morning are some things that, uh, that attack our unity as the body of Christ in a negative way. The average adult speaks how many words per day? We're going to take some guesses here, and whoever gets the closest wins bragging rights. 500. All right, there's one guess. How many? 10,000? About you? She said that about you or herself? All right, we got 10,500. Who's got another guess? 1,000? 5,000? Too many, that's probably true. Anybody else got a guess? 8,000? All right, so the research I found said the average was 7,000 words per day. You got the closest. He's a winner, winner. You're more than welcome to go to KFC and get yourself a chicken dinner after church. 7,000 words per day. You know, so in a week, that's 49,000. I did find some research that said that was the average for men and the average for women was 20,000 words. I'm serious. I'm not joking. I didn't put that up here, but that is really, I mean, uh, that's, just, that's just, you know, it's science. Um, but so let's just use 7,000 as a number. 
All right, so I found something when I was looking at these negative commands and, and, and the threats to unity of the body of Christ. And you know what I found is that they all are housed in one place, and it's right here. It's in our mouths, in the words that we speak. All right, the Bible says that in our tongue is both death and life. All right, so I'm saying 49,000 words on average per week. Last week, what did you do with them? In the next seven days before you get back here next Sunday, you got 49,000 words. You're going to spew them out of there. They're going to go at somebody, and they're going to impact people. They're going to impact your, your spouse, your family, your children, your friends, your coworkers. The waitress or waiter at Texas Roadhouse, the cashier that, at Walmart that's doing their best, it's going to affect and impact people. And we find that our words actually can impact, as a body of Christ, our ability to do kingdom work, to reach people for Christ. So I'm going to start with just this thought, what are you going to do with them this week? And I found that. Um, let's see if I got a verse in here. Yeah, let me read this verse first to set us on the stage here to say, okay, yeah, unity should be a goal of the church, the body of church, whether it's a, a, a body of believers like us. Uh, you know, we do have a sign on the door. We're just a place to hang out and serve God and worship Him together. Uh, but as a church body, capital C Church, outside of just this name on the door, we should have a, an effort toward unity. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. That's how he lays it out there. So I found in these three threats to unity that I found in kind of the negative commands that tell us not to do. There's more. There's there's lots of stuff, but I'm going to talk about three this morning. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we all know that there are bad words. Um, and I guess this would be like using words for bad things. Okay? And, uh, and this is uh, three things we're going to look at, three threats to unity that we find in the New Testament. And these are commands and guidance of what not to say to one another. And how not to treat one another. Y'all ready? First one is lies. Pretty simple, four-letter word. Deceit. Colossians 3, 9 says, do not lie to each other. You know, I was thinking about this. All these New Testament letters, Corinthians, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Romans. Who are all these written to? The church, right? Believers. Okay? And so I'm hitting kind of pause here for a minute. That all these commands are written to believers, which, I mean, I mean, there's lots of stuff in these New Testaments that are, that are laying out rules that says don't do this way. Put aside sexual sin. Put aside, you know, the, you know arguing with one another. Put, put aside idolatry. Put aside all these things. He's not writing that to the world. He's writing it to the church. That we absolutely, as believers, have the ability to let the world get a hold of us and start, 
start start tangling with it and start letting it get and be involved in church. And so this is writing to the church. He's writing to Christians saying, don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. A minister one Sunday morning was a pastor. He got up to his congregation. He said, next week I'm going to preach on the sin of lying in preparation for that message, I want you uh, to go read Mark 17 for the coming week. And he came back in the next week and he asked the entire congregation, how many of you read Mark 17? And about half the congregation raised their hand. And he said, that's great because there's only 16 chapters in Mark. Let me begin my sermon on lying. All right? So, so what, I'm, what I'm saying is I also found this research, and for parents of teenagers, if it's out of Penn State, it said 98% of teenagers lie to their parents. Okay? If you've got 100 kids, children, two of them might not lie to you. Did you get that? So if you've got three, you've got four, you've got two, you've got one... At some point, a lie is going to come out of Matthew. It said that they lied about what they spent their allowances on, where they started dating, what clothes they put on away from the house, what movie they went to, who they went with. They lied about alcohol and drug use, about where they were hanging out with friends or parents disapproved of. About And you're like, my kids were never. And then you remember when you were a teenager? No, y'all were perfect teenagers. Never told a lie. And you say, well, we're adults. We shouldn't have to. I mean, you shouldn't have to, Jared, be talking about uh, not lying to one another. Uh, and yet Paul had to tell it to the church at Colossae. And we got to say it to ourselves. Because another study said that uh, of adults that took uh, diaries of their, a diary of their lies, it was on average one per day, they told you say, what do we lie about? I don't lie. You probably lied this morning. And you don't even realize it. Usually when we're dishonest, we use it to do three things. To protect ourselves. To keep from hurting others. Or to get out of trouble. Like it's one of those three things. Uh, what are some examples maybe? Uh, what about when people want your time? Hey, I'd love to hang out Saturday evening. We have got so much to do. We've got 14 birthday parties. Or experiences. Like we downplay all the negative experiences in our life. We're not going to jump out and just say, Oh yeah, I used to be on drugs. Oh yeah, I slept with everybody when I was younger. Oh yeah, this or that. Like we are not going to come straight out and talk about those experiences. And then we're bad to exaggerate the good experiences. Right? What's the old fishing story? I caught a fish this big. Right? It gets bigger every time you tell the story. Nobody's going to know for sure. There was no pictures. There's no proof. It can be as big as I want it to be. Like there's just little things. Even our, And our kids pick up on it. Little white lies. Rosie, one time we were coming home and I was on the phone with Bethany and I said, hey, we're on our way home. We're coming by Bob Evans from the back seat. No, we're not. 
it's up there. Right? We hadn't made it to it yet. I could see it. We weren't technically coming by Bob Evans. Daddy's a liar. Why'd you lie, Dad? We're not going by Bob Evans. Sometimes it's in the most simple things. Sometimes it's in the most important things. But dishonesty, deceit, and this is not just in the church, in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace, on your ball team, and with your, your friends as students. Deceit and dishonesty breaks relationships. It destroys trust. And it affects unity. You don't want to catch people up in a lie. I mean, as soon as you catch somebody up in a lie, and listen, we have experienced, Bethany and I have experienced it with adults that just bold-faced lies, and we're like, why do they even lie about that? But who's the father of lies? Satan. This is, dishonesty is a tool to turn us against one another. And so we find the, the first thing, the first threat to unity is lies. Some of us don't just say lies, we live one. I'm not going to go there. Some of us uh, believe lies about ourselves, like we're not good enough, I'm not accepted. I mean, there are lies, okay, all around us that we either, we either put out or we accept that are not true that affect our unity. Uh, the second one, I, I wrote down judgment. Um, and if you go to Romans 14, you can uh, find Paul's guidance on this. It says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. I want to show you a different translation of this. It says, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Because I believe there are instances in the New Testament, there's guidance that we should discern and judge one another, right? If, if we see a brother or sister that is making a mistake, someone in the church, a friend, a neighbor that's living in sin, that they've, 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 kind of, they've, they've, they've went off the path a little bit, there's an appropriate and correct way to approach that person. But I think this kind of phrases it right. It says, here's what we're tempted to do. And even for unbelievers, people who are not a part of the church, we are just so quick to not just judge them, make the assessment, but we look down upon them. And that's what Paul is getting, was really getting at here. Why are you looking with contempt? Why are you looking down on people? This one quote said that ultimately judging has to do with playing God. When we judge someone, we do three things. First, we place ourselves above another as if we were his or her God. Second, we condemn another. And third, we create the standard for another. <laughs> Who am I to judge? And then those are the faces we make at people, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Can you believe that? Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Pretty, uh, pretty straightforward um, command to not judge uh, one another. 
there's a quote that says, the more one judges, uh, the less one loves. The more one judges, the less one loves. James 4.12 says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You see, when you see an unbeliever, it, it, will become a, uh, it, it will become kind of an instinct to start judging any sin in their life. And we have to realize that for salvation, there is one thing we get judged on when we sit, when we die one day or, or, or we, we go before this ju- the judgment seat of God. We are judged on one thing, and that is, did we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? That is it. So, so what, we, what we see when we see someone just like, we think, it, oh, man, they're just a terrible sinner. Like you get this instinct, like you need to stop. You need to stop drinking. You need to stop you know, cussing. You need to stop all this stuff. Like you start saying, why are you doing all this stuff? It'll send you to hell. When really all that is is just showing them they need Jesus. Like that is, the, that is look, we are all sinful. And broken. We all fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. All, and, the, and the wages of sin are death. Like eventually, if, 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 if you just answer for your sins of your own accord, you're going to be separated from God eternally. But see, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. I want to tell you, you can't change enough to make God happy. You can't quit doing enough. You can't start coming to church enough to make God happy. Jesus was the only one who fulfilled the law who was perfect. And if you put your faith in him, all you got to do is in your heart believe, confess with your mouth that, that he was resurrected and that, that he, was, uh, 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 he is our Savior and put your hope in him and you will be saved. By no other name under the sun can man be saved except Jesus Christ. It's a lot like a child. Y'all see kids playing together? And one becomes try, like starts trying to be the parent or the tattletale or I mean, have y'all seen this? Right? They're coming saying so and so did this, and I told them to go sit over here. They're starting to try to put each other in time out. And I'm like, are you serious? You're a kid. Five minutes ago, you were stealing somebody's bike from them. Do you understand? We are like kids that for us to go and begin to say, you need to stop doing that, is God looking at me like, are you serious? Who are you? Who are you to come with the condemning attitude, the looking down attitude, the contempt for one another? Who are you? I am God. And what you are doing when you are judging, you are putting yourself in the judgment seat of the law. And, you know, sometimes we don't even judge against, like, actual, like, what the, the commandments of God. We, we judge, like, our preferences of, like, how people are dressed, of where they work or what education level they have or whether they've got tattoos or race. I mean, listen. Paul was writing this to the church. 
Colossians 3.12 says, Since God chose you to be uh, the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let's see if I got this verse up here. Yeah, Galatians 6.1. This is what I'm talking about. The difference between judgment and discernment. There should never be this joy of getting to to just like, they messed up, I can't wait to get to them and tell them how they're doing everything wrong and what they should be doing. But it says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. The ultimate goal of this conversation of discernment and judgment should be restoration, not condemnation. Restoring them and connecting them to Christ, reconnecting them to their faith in the body of Christ and bringing them back in, not just straight up condemnation. Restoration should always be the goal. Third thing, so two, two, two things so far, lies, judgment, And gossip. Oh, this one's going to be fun. We're just going to have some fun. James 4.11, brothers and sisters, do not slander. One. What does the Bible say about gossip? He don't say anything about gossip, does it? The Bible about gossip. I thought, I thought that's just like a thing we could do. I mean, I go to the beauty shop and I call people and we got this text group as soon as we know the stuff and everybody wants everybody to know. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. Pretty tough. Ephesians 4.29, do, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That pretty much covers it. But only what is helpful for bidding, building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who... I love gossip. I mean, this is just a preacher right in front of you. I mean, the flesh loves to hear when people mess up. The Spirit is teaching me to hate that. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Proverbs 10, 18. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and speaks slander is a fool. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. I mean, I could keep going. So what is gossip? The textbook definition is idle talk or rumor, especially about the person or private affairs of others. Another kind of explanation. To gossip means to betray a confidence or to discuss unfavorable personal facts about another person with someone who is not part of the problem 
for its solution. Oh, here and here's the thing. It's true or not, right? Sometimes, oh, you've heard this, right? But it's true. Just saying, I mean, and when, when we say that, here's what we're really saying. Hey, if it's true, they deserve it. I mean, if that really happened and it's true and they did that, they deserve for everybody to know about it, which feels really good until you become they or until they become you. It's true, they deserve it. I mean, uh, and does that sound like the heart of Christ? Like, oh man, they're going through a hard time and, and they messed up. And, and Jesus is like, they deserve for everybody to know about it. Put it on Facebook. Or is Jesus going to them and, and stirring in their heart? And being there for them in this most difficult time in their life and caring about them. And so, so we, we, and I think that last explanation, it's a good test. Like, it's the people you're sharing this, this with, are they, is it someone who can help address the situation? All right? Is it, is it the actual person? Is it somebody... Uh, in, in authority over that person? Is it, is, it, is it a pastor? Is it a teacher? Is it a parent? Or is it just your friends? And you're just like loving. Like, I got some dirt. <laughs> Whoo, come on over. Right? I got some dirt, and you want to hear it? I want to share it with you? I can't wait. Or is the exhortation from Christ to be kind and compassionate to one another, to be patient, to forgive, to consider other people better than ourselves, to accept them? I mean, why do we feel so excited when people hit hard times and people mess up? Some good indicators. Oh, my gosh. If the conversation starts with that, it's probably not going to be good. Or if it starts with, can you believe that, enter name, that's probably not going to be good after that. Galatians 5.15 says, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Oh man, we got the power to build each other up. In your mouth, you have the power to tear one another down. And I want you to, I want you to think about this verse. And, and when, I, when this verse really hits me, and when it really hit me, I was like, God, I get it, God, I get it. i got to work on this. 1 Peter 2, 4, 5 says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. He's talking about Jesus, who, who the, the, the Pharisees cast away, but ended up being the chief cornerstone okay the living stone and verse 5 says you also talking to the church like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood so why does this matter to me why does this change the conversation of gossip because especially if they are a believer and they are in the body you are not just talking about a person. 
You are talking about a living stone in God's church. Does that make sense? No? They are a member of the body of Christ, and you are just defaming them. You're affecting their reputation, and you are affecting their, their future. And God's ability to use his church to reach the world. Here's some good suggestions for you on how you overcome the sin of gossip. Your mom probably told you this one. If you can't say something good, I mean, that is like the simplest way. If you can't say something good, just don't say anything. If someone puts something to you in confidence, just keep it in confidence. Watch out for places and situations where gossip is likely to happen. And, you know, I preached in the last couple of weeks the importance of community and getting together. And I'm telling you, at Texas Roadhouse after church, Peking after church, like we, I mean, we're talking about everybody that walked through the door and what they wore and can you believe so-and-so, you know. The, I mean, it, this is where it happens. And so the fourth thing to, to help kind of overcome it is to not allow it to go unchallenged. There's constructive ways you could do it. Like if you're in a conversation and somebody starts talking about somebody, you know, you be the oddball, the weird one that says, oh, how can we help that person? They're like, what? Wait, we're talking about that person. We want to talk about them. We don't want to help them. We just want to talk about them. Right? Because that's the instinct. Or maybe just say, I just don't really feel real comfortable with this or just ask the question have you have you gone to talk to the person about this the person that hurt your feelings or you're complaining about or you're frustrated about or can you believe they did this or that have you gone to them privately and talked to them about it ask yourself am I gossiping am I talking about this person or am I just am I talking about how we can help this person am I lifting them up am I tearing them down would I be comfortable if this person were to walk in on our conversation? The little Chinese proverb says, Speak only well of people and you need never whisper. All right, I want to take you kind of to the end of this. And we think about these words, these three things, these, the lies... Uh, the judgment or the condemnation, uh, the contempt, the looking down on people. And then uh, the, the, the third thing is gossip. I want, want you to see that there's something here. That out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And, and these all speak to a condition of the heart that we are, uh, we are putting ourselves first. Why do we lie? protect ourselves. It's all about us. Why do we critique people and look down on people? Because it makes us feel better. It makes me feel better about myself when I feel like I'm good and they're not. When I feel like I've accomplished it and they haven't. When I feel like I'm better than them, I feel better. Why do we gossip? For real, when you really think about why would we do that? Why do we find joy in that? Again, it makes us feel better to talk about other people's problems because in those moments we 
forget ours. There's really a defense in this. How do we overcome these threats to unity as a church? Galatians 5, 13 through 14 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to sing a song in a minute. I want to read one of the verses. How do we find this humility? Where do we find a heart to serve? Where do we find the heart to put, uh, consider one another above ourselves? Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, let me tell you about him, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, Jesus, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of, of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not in, only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. You see, a, a normal, just a regular club of people together, we can't overcome these things. As individuals, we just all about ourselves. But it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Fill us. Let's pray. God, fill us with your spirit. God, empty us of our old self. God, put the things to the side that we can't put to the side ourselves. God, help us to place our faith and our trust 
in you, God, to use our words this week. God, not to tear down, but to build up. Not to discourage, but to encourage. Not to, uh, to show con- condemnation, but to point people to your mercy and your grace. God, let us pray and think about and seek out the good in people and celebrate that. Let us set our minds on things that are righteous and pure and holy and beautiful. God, take control of our minds and our hearts. Let our mouths outpour what the Spirit puts in us. And God, so that we can build this community that can be like no other community the world sees. Of of people who love one another. Who care for one another. And that is how the world will know we are your disciples. God, it is only you who can do this. We trust you with it. In Jesus' name, amen.